Hi, Liberators. This is Tiffany Coleman with yet another episode of Interesting People. Um, today, I have a rebel rouser, a uh, agitator, a sergeant in arms on the, on the show with me today. Um, his name is Pastor Ralph Hodge of Second Baptist Church in Richmond. Um, he is a member of an organization called RISC, which uh, stands for Richmonders Involved in Strengthening Our Communities. Um, and he is also an avid motorcyclist that's how you say it um and he and his church actually hosts the largest motorcycle ride in in the state of virginia um he is uh he's a former associate pastor at the saint paul's baptist church which is actually my home church and it is a privilege and an honor to have the one and the only pastor ralph hodge on interesting people welcome to the show thank you for being here glad to have you glad to be with you today tiffany <laughs> All right, so we are going to, so it, in the time that we're living in, of course, we're living in the middle of a pandemic, but the pandemic has also brought other pandemics to the surface um, and to light. Um, one of them being uh, systemic racism and social injustice that's built in. Um, and so I wanted to have you on here today because you are doing some interesting work uh, in our city um, mm -hmm. to combat some of the issues um that we have um and uh i'm not gonna tiptoe around it um so let's just go right into it what are some of the misconceptions that people have about urban areas or the hood even okay um that people are lazy or that people don't want to work or that people are taking advantage of the system in most of the cases um most of the people in the hood are hard workers um uh, value education that was even in a study done by Duke University called What We Get Wrong About the Black Wealth Gap. They showed, highlighted that, guess what? Uh, African-Americans oftentimes are more interested in education than other communities. So, I, so we get all these things wrong. Um, we're lazy, we don't save money. Um, that is just not the case, that's just not true. There is no data to support that. Um, so just about every racial stereotype or racial trope um, is probably inaccurate when you really look at the numbers and the data and what actually happens. Um, yes, you have problems in the urban area because most, and most of those problems are connected to uh, long-standing poverty, long-standing mm. wealth disparities, um, mm. which are documented and highlighted in our communities. Mm, mm. Okay, so, well, okay, I'm not gonna say that I'm gonna ask you this next question and then we'll summarize a couple of things. What are some of the major issues that lead to the creation of the urban areas or hoods? What, and is it something that's created? Yes, it's definitely something that's created. Let's deal with say, say northern cities or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. um, if you look at a, look at the great migration, African-Americans leaving the South, going to the North, um, they, act, they oftentimes were, not oftentimes, they were always isolated. If you were black, you can only live in this community. Um, and if you live in this community, you couldn't really own anything in that community. You had to rent in that community. If you rent in that community, you would charge higher rates of rent, sometimes two, three times what the going rate of rent was in that community. You couldn't own it. You were subject to slumlords. You were redlined in those areas, so we weren't giving out loans in those areas, and that's by government policy. The FHA from the 1930s to the 1960s to we had the Federal Housing Act in 1968, 96% of federal housing loans went to people that weren't black. <laughs> so, so, they, so that was a that was a government, several 
tens of billions of dollars in wealth transfer to white families who had access to land grants. Some places land grant was 160 acres. Sometimes some places land grants were 300 acres. That's free land. Actually, the whole Black Tulsa thing was based on a land act. That's how the Black folk got the land in Tulsa. And, but then, of course, mm. they turned it down once it was successful because um, the Tulsa thing is connected to that. So where we, 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 in a place like Tulsa, we were successful, then they burned it down. But if we went to urban areas, we couldn't get land, we couldn't rent, and they created urban areas. I think Mark Lamont Hill in his book called Forgotten, or Nobody, he, Nobody, I think, he looks at several cities in the North and, and in the South that how, it goes in very detail, how these areas were created and how they were created oftentimes was about wealth exclusion. We didn't invest. We didn't allow you to work. Um, we limited your, where you could go, where you could live. You know, and so these things are created. Um, did they know this is what it would look like in the end? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think they're that smart, but they just mm -hmm. they made sure you didn't have anything. So what happened is it made, if you were a hardworking black man in the 40s and 50s, you might work at a, a plant in Detroit, say, you know, GM plant. Right. Mm-hmm. Ford. Mm-hmm. Live in a certain area. And say you and the white guy, first of all, you and the white guy weren't going to make the same. That's going to be the first thing, right? Right. The white guy would have got to go to a neighborhood where he paid a decent rent or decent mortgage. Or he could even get a mortgage. The black guy had to go to a neighborhood where he was going to pay twice the rent, three times the rent, wasn't going to be able to have any say in it because he couldn't own anything, couldn't get a loan from the government, couldn't get a low interest rent. Um, there weren't any grocery stores or this thing. He couldn't move. So you could make, you could work at the same place, not get paid the same, not be able to go to the same neighborhoods. And, and then your wealth gets extracted from you. <laughs> so you can't even mm. save money. Um, Mahesha Baradine's book about the color of money will talk about how they wouldn't even allow black banks to prosper. They wouldn't give black banks charters. People say, well, why don't we have black banks? Well, oftentimes it's because they wouldn't give a bank a charter. You have to have a charter. And also, so it's a charter. It's a license to run a bank and to be oh, okay. Okay. insured and all that kind of stuff. You need those okay. kind of experiences, right? So they wouldn't mm -hmm. give so it's not, you just can't decide we're going to pull our money together to get a bank. It's a lot of stuff that goes on with that. Matter of fact, there's a funny story. They made a movie about it called Black Bankers or The Bankers, how the black guys kind of use a white guy to front a, a black bank. <laughs> you see that. ah. that's, a true, that's a true story. <laughs> you know, this is what internet uh -huh. computers, you can get away with something like that if you're smart. Right, right, right. Right faces to front black business because that was the only way they were going to be able to do it. So urban areas were definitely created, sustained. Uh, uh, money was, the wealth was siphoned out. And so a black man, a black family, black woman may have money, but they, it cost them more to be black. So, okay. So in, so when you gave the example of the person working at Ford, you said there was a certain area that they could live in, mm -hmm. meaning that was, how, how was that set up? Was that set up racial, through the government? Racial, through racial covenants um, and Chicago being the template for racial covenants in the country. Mm. North side, South side Chicago is the template for the rest of the country for racial covenants in communities that would say a black person could live in, a black person could live somewhere else. Chicago is the template. Um, and these covenants. Chicago is still suffering from that today. And these covenants are with, between who? Who and who? Who are the two entities Owners, of these the communities, the cities? They, they support it. It's, it just could be a neighborhood, but the neighborhood had written in it, you couldn't sell to a black person. The neighborhood wow. was 
And that's all, and the federal government said, also supported that through the FHA rules and said, and called these areas desirable and less desirable. And a, a neighborhood oh. by one designation, how many black people live there? They could be in the same kind of house, two streets over. If mm. black people lived on this side, it was called less desirable. And what that meant was a bank wasn't going to loan money to it. And so it's mm. the property becomes less valuable because you can't sell it. I can't sell mm. it. Then it's less valuable. Yes, then that's less equity. Then that's less resources you can give to your family. That's less wealth that you have to pass on. It just trickles, trickles, trickles down. All of that's created. Wow. And remember, the white middle class was created. There was no white middle class prior to 1929, 30s. There was no white middle class. That's a, that's really? a, that's a creation of the United States government. Low interest loans, USDA loans, GI Bill loans, uh, money to go to school, all that is a creation of the New Deal that went exclusive, almost exclusive to white people and, 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 and not to black people. So the, uh, who is it? Um, oh yeah, I got it. I want to get this book by Robert Richard. I, I bought that one. I can't get to it yet because I'm reading some other stuff. <laughs> read he details the no. understand the white middle class was created. They did not get there wow. by did not get there by hard work. Wow. Prior to the 30s, if you wanted to go to college, you had to be rich. Yeah. You know, prior to you know, you know, buy a house, you had to have all the money. Right. All that changed, and it and it benefited the majority of white Americans from the so land, that was yeah from land acts, USDA farm loans, GI bills, federal housing administration loans, everything. The government it was really welfare. It was really the government saying we're going to, as uh, Martin Luther King says, we're going to undergird the the, the white peasantry. Those are exactly mm. that's what they did. They created, mm. but it, but they didn't do it for black people. And if you were black and got in it, you were a very small percentage of people. So that, so that was a part of Roosevelt's New Deal, as my grandmother, my great grandmother would say, and she loved Roosevelt. Um, but but that was a part of the New Deal is that they had to help the help to create or foster a white middle class. Absolutely, absolutely. Because the because I'm assuming the Great Depression affected too many white people. Well, well, well most people realize wealth. The same wealth inequality we have now, we had right before the Great Depression, the Great Stock Market Crash. Oh. And what happened is, is that it was, it was a house of cards. And so mm -hmm. the goal was to uh, let's build up the middle so it, it won't all keep crumbling down on us. Mm -hmm. So, in, which is, and it built the white middle class. Remember, African Americans are only 15% of the population, so they can right. afford to avoid us. And then you could use us for the labor that you didn't want to do. Um, mm -hmm and use us for, you know, exert our labor without compensating us, which is traditionally what has happened in the United States with regards to African-Americans. They get our labor, our ideas, our, our, our beauty, our, our, our intelligence, and then mm -hmm. for the cash and, and don't give us credit or compensate us. That's wild. Yes. That it's insidious too. Like that's that's a jacked up weight. Okay. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> moving right along. Um, just kind of wonder. Okay. So so going back to what we're talking about when we're talking about hoods and urban areas and ghettos, whatever you want to call them, they have so many wonderful names. Um, so we talked about they're created. Um, and 
it, it, they're created based on the subgroup of people living in a certain area. Is that correct? Well, and for the most part, yeah. Well, see, in America, now that wouldn't be the case necessarily in like, say, the ghetto was like, a, I think, a German term, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. um, but it, and so there it may have been based on religion, right? Um, mm-hmm. But where you right. house people and say, we're going to lock you out of real wealth creation, force you into an underground economy, um, limit your movement, limit your opportunity, uh, we'll divert everything around you. <laughs> be mm-hmm. a um, we will, as soon as you mm-hmm. get successful, we'll figure out a way to limit your success, um, crush it, um, you know, or like in Richmond, run a highway through Jackson Ward. You know, you I know. was thinking that. I was thinking about it. Yes. This is, these are things that we can do to limit you and uh, hold you down. And, and people say, oh, well, they can't hold you down. Well, yeah, but they can put a whole lot of systems in place that make it hard. Yes. And that's yeah. what, you know. And no, but mm-hmm. the stuff from the Af- African-American community oftentimes is about being exceptional. Where in the white community, you can be very average. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can be average and mediocre. Um, you know, black, you got to be exceptional. Um, you do. And, 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 you know, and have a lot of things going your way a lot of times. Where mm-hmm. white, you can just be regular, with a regular mm-hmm. school, regular, your regular job, you know, live, live on your, your parents' land, build a house on your parents' land. You know, have a lot of wealth, you know, inherit it. Yeah, you know. Mm. Mm. Wow. Wow. Something you said too that struck me. You said um underground income or or uh what did you say? Said Economy. So Yeah, what is that? What do you mean by that when you say that? Well you everybody's gotta have money to live, right? So right. lock me out of wealth creation. Um if you say I shoplifted and now I got a, a felony on my and I can't work, right? I want to work, I, I'm able to work, but you won't let me work or you block me from working. Well, you force me into an underground economy because I got to feed somebody. I got to feed. So mm-hmm. you see is in the hood, there's always been an underground economy. Right. Because it's not because we're not stupid. Um, we're not lazy. Um, we want to, we're going to work. But you know, you can't tell me, well, I want to extrapolate. 40 hours a week from you for minimum wage when when I, that's not going to feed my family. I'm going to have mm-hmm. to. So you oftentimes force people into an underground economy, which oftentimes compromises their morals, compromises what they want to do, but you're leaving them very little choice. You know, very few people want to be a gangster. You know, mm. um, sometimes it's popular, but reality is, is that, you know, you give me a better alternative, most people take it. Most people take it. You tell me, mm-hmm. oh, I, I ain't got to worry about nobody shooting me. Oh, yeah, I'll take it. It makes the same money? Oh, shit, yeah, let's do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. old G's in the hood be like, no, the goal was to get out the hood. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I ain't going to live here mm-hmm. no more. I'm going to sit on my deck and drink some tea. You know, I'm not trying to. <laughs> but yeah, so. Wow, wow. Okay, so the the main reason the main reason I wanted to have you on the show is because I found out about those work that you're doing, mm-hmm. an organization you're a part of with Risk, and you're doing some other things that I think are transformative and are necessary. So can you just school us because we're about to get a lesson, y'all? Can you just school us on what it is that you're doing, um, and then and and then we'll and then we can talk a little bit about it. Uh, well, I'm a pastor, and so I'm could, I, the group that we're connected to is a religious, it's a faith-based group. So mm-hmm. we get people, and we basically, you know, the three major religions, you know, Islam, uh, Judaism, uh, Christianity, all, if you're honest, all have a justice, common denominator of justice. 
They all do. Um, if you're, so when you hear someone say, uh, you hear some white evangelical guy says social justice is not in the scripture. That is totally ignorant. You haven't read the prophets. You haven't, she, Jesus turning over the tables in the temple was a social justice situation because he was going after predatory lending in the temple based on the abuse of Deuteronomy 14. Uh, he's turning over the tables because they were supposed to be a convenience, but they turned into a money-making uh, uh, contraption in the temple. So social justice, uh, you know, straight up in there. Um, so we gather people that have a, a common theme that our faith tells us we have to deal with justice for the folk who don't have a voice. And so we, mm-hmm. we, have, we meet to talk about the problems, then we research the problems, we come up with solutions to the problems, and then we challenge, like Nehemiah did in Nehemiah, we challenge the powerful people in our community to, to make it right. Mm-hmm. So if it's a if it's if we believe that the city has a, a part they can play, we challenge city leaders to take a part. If we believe corporate America or corporations in the community uh, have a part to fix it, we challenge them to use their resources in that way. We don't provide services. We I give an example. Our job wouldn't be to, to feed the hungry, even though we do it in our various churches. Our job together is to look at why folk are hungry in the community and why mm. the stores and why there's our there's food insecurity and food mm-hmm. we go after the systematic reasons or the systemic back systemic aspects of the problem and deal with that and go head on and we've been successful okay okay right a lot of folks don't want to get in the fight but we get in it we, like john lewis said it's good trouble it's good trouble mm, mm, mm. so um you invited me to attend one of the meetings um, and I was deeply moved by a lot of the stuff that I saw. And there are some women in this group who are no nonsense, like Tough cookies. <laughs> and, and they're white women. Like that's yeah. what threw me. <laughs> like, it was, see, they are tough. Yeah, don't get, don't get too, so we got some bad sisters in the group. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But, but we are, there are, there are allies. There are people that, because yes. people that, if they if they really if they're really into the faith, yes, they, if they really are a believer. They're gonna be like, nah, it's wrong. It's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's, not, mm-hmm. it's not right. This is wrong. And that's I'm saying. And once you get them set ablaze on that, oh, they gonna yes. they gonna go at it. You know, because yes. a lot of folks who are used to privilege, when they see a problem, they're like, well, why can't we fix it? You know, they're not even they're not they're not even thinking why it can't be done because they from a privileged position that normally mm-hmm. gets so they kind of like yes. no, what you mean we can't do it can't tell me we can't do it you know it's kind of like yes. that like i want to see the manager you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, there's a there's a good place for that yes it is <laughs> good place for people who want to see the manager when there's a real injustice taking place that's yes. when you, no. you want to yes. care that's when the caring energy is good energy uh-huh <laughs> Not because they don't have my coffee in the store. It, yeah, this is this is the time to go see the manager. What, what you mean? Y'all not letting black folk, you know, live? Oh no, no, no! I want to see the manager. This ain't right. Uh huh. Uh huh. That energy there. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so you got when you when you all approach a situation, you guys have done in-depth study on um on a lot of these things. We'll do as much as one time we were doing a reading thing with Richmond City, and now 2,000 kids are in the reading program that we suggested. We brought professors that teach it and, and teach the teachers and why it's important to the city to sit down with city leaders. So we never say we're experts, but we will definitely get on the phone, fly an expert in, 
pay for a bus ticket to get them here, whatever, so they can whatever sit, you have to do. set it up. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and so what do some of the studies show about, okay, so specifically the two issues that we dealt with in that meeting were homelessness, were, you know, people being evicted, housing especially at the housing, mm -hmm. and also gun violence. So we'll take them separately. Um, what do some of the studies show about the work that you all did when it came to housing? First thing was we realized, excuse me, Richmond was number two in evictions in the country. So there's a- oh there's a whole structural problem with that is number one. Yes, it is. So we couldn't fix everything. So because we just can't fix everything right away, but we can do a couple right. things. Number one was we could we could challenge our city leaders to set up an eviction diversion program, which they did through home. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and also make sure there's enough money in there to really help people, which we did. When we got the CARES Act money. We told them we wanted the six million for that. Right. So mm -hmm. that was stop evictions, slow down evictions, help people get themselves right. Because often when you're poor, it's about getting, buying some time. Can I get, mm. some, get my money together? Get my time to save up, right? So the eviction diversion was to help people get 60 days, 90 days, 100 days, 120, to get, them, get themselves straight. Because that's what you need when you are in eviction crisis, housing unstable. unstable. Uh, so we did, we worked, so, and that was one thing, stave off the evictions. Number two, um, develop a plan to create affordable housing units. Because what mm -hmm. we noticed is that people who make 30% or less of the average medium income based on HUD guidelines in the area or the people at most we call rental burden. Burden, you know, rent, in other words, the rent is too heavy of a proportion of their money, the higher yeah. percentage of their, their monthly income. Yeah. The goal is to build housing, subsidize housing um, all throughout the city, not just in one area, don't concentrate poverty, but all throughout right. the where, you know, mixed income, all that stuff, where people can live in a nice neighborhood, nice community, nice development, um, and, and have a rent that's affordable. And, and uh -huh. like about $550, $650 at that rate, you know, uh -huh. um, and so when they're, when it's affordable, they stay there, the kids stay there, the kids not moving around, they're doing better in school, they got a safe place to be, safer communities. When people are unstable, they get desperate and stuff starts happening, and stuff starts crumbling. And so housing is a, it plays a tremendous role in a community's stability, and mm -hmm. peace and security. And so we saw that. So we have the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. Our challenge was to the city, there's not enough money. It needs to be bigger and a bigger portion of the money we have needs to go to helping the lowest of, of our income earners in our community. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So you want to help to kind of curb some of the, so that we can stop the train on its tracks instead of wait till it gets off the track and then we got to go do damage control. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, so you got to stop, slow the evictions down, but also in the process, begin to create places that are affordable. The reason they get evicted most of the time is because- It's can't afford it. Yeah. They, they're already borderline on the edge. And when you yeah. have- in that situation, they end up having to stay with some people they don't want to stay with. Relationships. Instead of staying with folks that could be predators, you have all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So you want to avoid all that. Now, what does the study say in regards to the gun violence that you, when you guys are talking about the gun violence? So what we found out is that only about one to less than half of, of a percent of people in our communities are actually engaged in violent crime. Huh. that's a myth like in the hood the hood thing all oh, everybody's in, involved in crime in the hood no 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 yeah. 
Trust you, gun violence and, uh, and violent crime is a very small percentage of the people, and it's and a high and a great percentage of that is just in, in groups in the community that are engaged in crime. You know, some in some neighborhoods there'll be a gang, some it's a crew, or some it's a small group of five or six kids or whatever. And I'll sometimes they, mm -hmm. but it's group violence that's causing violence with other groups in the city. <laughs> mm. in that group. And so what group violence intervention does is it does a comprehensive city plan to, to target city resources at that uh -huh. groups of people spread out throughout your city to provide them with resources and violence diversion to lead them away from crime. Uh -huh. so it's not, instead of being a police driven model to just kind of squash them, it's a, it's a model to lift them up. And so and you've done the research on this particular program, the Group Violence Intervention Program. John Jay College, I think in New York City, uh, does a whole thing called Safe Communities. You can Google that. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. kind of started that. And it's evolving and tweaking. When they first started it, it probably was more police-driven. Now it mm -hmm. has from, from more, you know, that doesn't work. It's kind of moved away gotcha. from more community-driven. So it's gotcha. actually, it has evolved, you know, so. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason we picked it because the data shows it can reduce gun violence 20, 30, 60%. So that's kind of, that's lies. Seriously. And those are lies when you say that. That's, those are people not getting shot. So you really can't put a price tag on that. So. so it can decrease by over half just by instituting a program like this. Yes, yes. Because see, you start, wow. remember I shared earlier with you, once, as soon as you start putting positive attention on something, going to start normally having a positive effect on it. So mm -hmm. start targeting these kids with positive intervention, the high likelihood that you're going to get some of them. And if you get mm -hmm. some of them, it's going to have a, a great effect. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, so with the information you just presented to us, how do we move forward? Like what are what are the next steps? Like, this is a great conversation. I'm tired of talking. Other people are tired of talking. How do we move forward? First of all, you got to hold all your city leaders accountable. City and county. City and county, yes. Well, good. Mm -hmm. County leaders accountable. Um, if you're in a community, um, you, you've got to demand your leaders. You've got to get politically engaged. You have to get a political education. You need to understand how stuff works, which is not hard to do. Find a social justice organization so, or some people that are talking about social justice in your community. Again, because we are not, we're not trained in this. This was stuff that we learned, we read, we got connected. We got involved in a, a nationwide group called DART, called Direct Action Research Training. And they do this all over around the country and help groups develop social justice organizations and ministries all over. Really? The yes. Yes, yes. And do everything from how to stop a community from targeting kids with marijuana charges and changing the laws and changing the rules. They did it in Pinellas County, Florida. And, and, and yes, that was a big thing we were doing. This is before the whole legalizing, the legalization of marijuana happened. We were in the thing of, nah, that's not a good thing. Get rid of that. Um, so they, we talk about, we, man, we, come, we have conferences where we go and we learn about how to do justice, how to talk to city, uh, city leaders, how to set up meetings. We do a lot of training. We are training how to do small house meetings, how to get your community involved in stuff. We train, train you on all that. Yep. Wow. Yep. Yep. Wow. And so, so if, the thing if your community doesn't have it, DART will help you set it up. Get out. Yep. 
It, and, and is this a local organization or is this a national, national thing? National organization. And, and I was talking to one of the founders of it, and you know how it got founded? Hmm. Back in the 80s, there was an a African-American man who was innocent, was, was killed, innocent man was killed in Miami. And there was a, there was a lot of unrest, a, poli a police killing of a black man in the 80s is what started DART. That's still around today. Wow. Crazy when you think about it. They Crazy. In a sense that we're still dealing with it. You know, right. That was, I was about to say that. I was about to say that. We still have these problems going on. That's how it started. But the, we wow. The, we're going to fight it. And then we're going to learn how to take our strategies we learn and give them uh -huh. the, You can use the same strategy. But it's not. But the same for the civil rights movement use the same tactics. Yes. That we use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's important because you and I talked about this before we started the interview is that we have to realize too, and I think it, we have to put it out there that it was that the civil rights movement, movements that you've seen that have that have created change were organized. Very organized. Very it's organized. not something that people just fly by the seat of their pants and do, but this was a very organized strategy. And I got to give your people a book, The Origins <laughs> of the Civil Rights Movement. Let's talk about how the how how important the churches were, um, mm. and why why are churches important because they're already organized. <laughs> oh. built in group of people that are already connected. Oh, yeah, because also you got because also you got to think about your city leaders do go to church, uh, and church people vote. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Churches are very important to the struggle. That's why I get upset why pastors aren't involved where they should be. They're very mm. important to the struggle. Mm. They were the backbone of the struggle back in that in those days. Yeah. You whenever when you wanted to get people together and you wanted to have a meeting and organize and plan how we gonna do this, where you go? You gotta do it. Now I hate to tell you, I only got five minutes left. <laughs> oh my god, okay, 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 okay. All right. So we're gonna go through this and cause I spent y'all, I spent so much time talking to him before we recorded. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to have him back and I'm gonna trap him into this um <laughs> on air because he's gotta come back. Um so lastly, um, we're gonna sum it up uh, sum it all up here. Um, how can regular people like me um get involved and how do we create equity in this situation what does equity look like i know it's a lot i know you got five minutes All right. but let's first just have at it connect with a group of people in your community that are doing social justice that's the first okay. thing i would mm -hmm. connect with an organization that, that prides itself on um making sure everyone has a voice mm -hmm. making sure that the women have an equal voice that the men do Making sure that mm. black folk have equal voice to the white folk do, you know, that we're, we're we're making sure that we are modeling what we're trying to create. Mm -hmm. uh, but if we don't model it, like a lot of a lot of groups will have a white power structure and black folk doing, you know, you, right, 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 right. You want to you, know, you want to make sure that you're in a group that is healthy, has a healthy dynamic, um, okay. where uh, people are treated fairly, um, and people have an equal say, like in what can happen in risk. Um, we vote on everything. It's very democratic. We don't do anything that's just, uh, we don't have a central leader. It's <laughs> a group of leaders. There's no central leadership. And it says there's not one person that can say, make a decision for the whole group that can't happen. Mm -hmm. um, we don't meet with public officials by ourselves. 
always a group. Mm-hmm. Making decisions by ourselves is always a group. I look mm-hmm. for like that that have that are transparent with the finances. Where does the money go? Um, uh-huh. Like any organization, any person in the organization should be able to see all of the finances at any given time. Okay. Where all the money goes. Now, in our case, it's not it's not that much money, but any, <laughs> sometimes it's not hard. We ain't got but ten bucks. Hey, it is right there. <laughs> but um, I get it. I get it. But some organizations may get money, grants, and stuff like that. There needs to be a yeah. clear accounting of where the money goes. It needs to be set aside accounting procedures that no one person should be able to write a check or get access to the money. It should be three mm. people got to sign off and check. It needs to be a system in place. So gotcha. I would say, you would look for that. If you don't see that, um, and people can't don't ask can't ask answer questions, I would I would be leery of organization. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So, and I think, I think the takeaway here is to make, is that, that you said the major takeaway to kind of sum it all up is to get connected to a group that you shouldn't start taking a sign and just marching down the street that you need to get connected because there are people out here doing the work. You just need to get connected to those people. I think that's what people, that people say stuff like, uh, well, nobody's saying anything about it. Normally there is. You just don't know that person. Exactly. Um, you just didn't know about them. You just didn't know the work they were doing. Um, and then when you get like, oh, y'all been doing this so long? Like, yeah, it's been 16, 17 years. They just didn't know it because the average person doesn't watch the news every night. Right. Every city council meeting, doesn't know all the laws that were passed. They don't know. Right. Know. And so I, I always tell people, don't uh, underestimate what these groups are doing. They're oftentimes mm-hmm. doing big work. There's some groups in Richmond now that are doing some stuff at General Assembly that are get, have tremendous impact on what happens to people. And I can tell you right now, most people in Richmond would not, wouldn't recognize any of these people, wouldn't know any mm. of them. And they are making sure that some great stuff is happening in the city of Richmond and in the state of Virginia. So I always tell people, get involved and then you'd be surprised. But just ask for transparency, make sure that stuff is going right, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. Will you come back on the show? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, because I, I, I'm sorry, y'all. Y'all didn't get all of the good stuff because I took up most of it. But... I thought you were taping when you weren't taping, so I thought you were taping. Mm-hmm. I'll give you those jewels when I thought you were taping. Next time you got to tape. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. If people want to find you on social media, where can they find you? Ralph Hodge at, uh, this Ralph Hodge. That's my, okay. Yeah, that's me on Facebook. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been another episode of Interesting People. Um, we are going to have him back on the show and we'll have him do the pivot questionnaire as well so we can learn a little bit more about him um, outside of all the wonderful work that he does. But um, thank you so much for sharing your time, your gift of who you are with us today. It is deeply, deeply valued. Um, and I look forward to having you back on the show. Oh, I'll be excited to be back on. Thank you for having mm-hmm. me Absolutely. And as always, you can catch us and get information about um, interesting people as well as other projects we're working on at www.liberated-media.com. Thank you so much. And in all of your dealings, when you deal with people, make sure you deal in truth and honesty and, 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 and realize that it's always the truth that sets us free. Amen. Thank you.